So, Brian, you... Ooh, that's me. That is you. <laughs> we've been trying to figure out for a while who our Romanian listeners are. We've been, we've been, we've been looking at... Wait, we have Romanian listeners? Yeah, we have a we few do. of them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty What's cool. What's up, Romania? You're the one European country we haven't alienated. It's, uh, yeah. Well... And, well <laughs> <we're>, unfortunately, <laughs> we might be about to. No, um, no. So, thanks in part to What a Hell of a Way to Die and all the new listeners that we've gotten as a result of that. Thank you, Nate Bethea. We love you, we Nate. We are getting more of a listenership, which is cool. And, and and also welcome to all of the like new people who have come on board. Really excited to have you listening to our show. Hello, but welcome yeah, to hell. One of the things that I've noticed, and, and I was talking about this with Brian, is that we actually have quite a few listeners in Romania now. And so we've been trying to figure out who the hell these Romanian listeners are. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was last night, Brian, that you sent along this series of tweets to me. <laughs> oh. We think we might have identified at least one of our Romanian listeners. <laughs> oh, this is from uh, user Talis, handle at talisman underscore knows, K-N-O-W-S. Okay. Would you... Sh- <laughs> <laughs> Would you suck a penis instead of going to prison? There's actually a very simple personality test that I developed myself that can tell precisely who would serve the jail time and who would suck a penis to get out of it. I'm going to explain it to you now. This is a thread? Thread. (laughs) As I said, quoting this original tweet when I messaged it to you, desperate for cock voice. Absolutely. Uh, and I, let, let me Just actually perf- salivating at let the me thought, perform yeah. this in a manner that sounds a little bit more desperate for cock. L- let's imagine the government, the police and the military gave everybody this ultimatum. A very funny thing would happen. Many would suck the penis, but they wouldn't do it quietly. If they suck the penis, <laughs> they would make you feel guilty for not sucking the penis. LOL, you're going to get locked up. Bad things are going to happen to you. Why don't you just suck the penis like everybody else? <laughs> With enough of them doing it, the shame and stigma of surrendering your manhood in this way would vanish. It would become the norm. Those of us who refuse to suck the penis getting more would manhood. suffer. Yep. <laughs> Prison sentences imposed on us. We would be locked up, unable to live our lives as normal. But here is the crazy thing. Eventually, those oh, of us who the crazy didn't thing. suck yeah. penis would be vindicated. With enough people resisting, the government wouldn't be able to lock us up. Protests would break out, <laughs> riots in some countries. How dare you tell us what to do with our bodies, we would cry. There is no way the government could actually impose this on all of us. Those who sucked the penis would naturally take the government's side, their pride gone and shamed by those who refused. They would brand the resistance as bad guys against the greater good. If we all just sucked penis, life would return to normal, right? Well, Knowing governments, they wouldn't even set the penis suckers free. All the penis was sucked, but it's hard to tell who sucked it. Those I sucked penis QR codes are easily bought or fake, so it tries to lock those people up too. The penis suckers blame the non-suckers. Eventually, the government would just drop it. You can't lock everybody up. And once the government realized this, their ridiculous policy would be dropped. Those who didn't suck penis could continue life as normal. But here's the kicker. Oh, here's the kicker. We held out. And we won. No penis sucked. We would now live in a strange aftermath where we would walk around looking each other in the eye. Life is normal. But I know that you sucked that penis. You surrendered your body and your dignity to the wild demands of the government, and you can never unsuck it. (laughs) 
So back to my original question. You really can't. You can absolutely unsuck a penis. I've done it. (laughs) So back to my original question. You vomit on it. How do you know if your friends would suck penis to avoid jail or not? Simple. Ask them their vaccination status. Game over, guys. Um, this guy, yeah, his his bio is really just like his name and then the fact that he's in Romania, which is 41% vaccinated. There is no law <sighs> there or anywhere putting people in prison for not getting the vaccine. Rough stuff. Anywhere in the world, actually. So many questions. How would he know that I sucked the penis? But I, I think my main <laughs> one is... carefully. <laughs> When he says they would not suck the dick quietly, I was like, so it's a big sloppy blow. It's 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 a lot of like you're you're shouting and uh, singing the whole time. Worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast willing to suck a penis instead of going to prison. I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. Yeah, Richard Maxwell, he's back in town. We're mm. back in another town. Ooh, 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 in the loop, if you know what I mean. The loop, but he may or may not, actually. That's the one he's, thing he's, about. He's, it sounds like he's not actually near the loop. It's it, hard well. to tell because they talk about the, I mean, later on, and we'll get I mean, to this. They say North University, which is yeah. do- Northwestern, which is not near the loop at all. Right? Well, it might be it might be Northwestern or it might be North Park, which is a Christian university. Um, oh, also possible. Or, but this is, we're back to Wits Endless Summer once again. For those of you who are. It's always summer in America. <laughs> joining this, this first time around. Uh, we are moving out of the Whitaker of our discontent and are now moving into Springs Awitkening. Absolutely. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> these are all parts, of course, of Wits Endless Summer, the sub-series of the worst of all possible worlds where we listen to and recap episodes of Adventures in Odyssey. Because the, you all asked for this. You, you just wanted it so <laughs> I'm going to be honest, a lot of people asking for this. Uh, they are. They are yeah. more, we, more. We, we, They're demanding our doors. We, we're getting threads from Romanians about it. It's uh, waylaid yeah. in the windy city. It which fucking windy. It windy. It windy. It's very windy. It's 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 always been interesting to me how Adventures in Odyssey, which is a show that was you know uh, created in Southern California, mm-hmm. recorded in there for the longest time, and produced in Colorado, has yeah. this deeply, deeply Midwestern vibe. And Dobson is from Louisiana. Right. Like a lot of these guys aren't actually Midwesterners. In the cultural imagination of the Midwest, you know, Chicago, America's second city, which is sooner or later actually going to be our fourth most populous city (laughs) behind uh, New York, L.A. and uh, Houston. Uh, You know, I am of us the only one who grew up in the Midwest. And Chicago is the most important city in the Midwest, culturally, economically. It is one of my favorite cities. It, It has a certain speed to it, due in part to the fact that it is actually the heart of the American railway system. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is always important 
always has been important for American industry, but it's also the city that a lot of kids who grow up in the Midwest, myself included, see as the exciting cosmopolitan place that you go if you want to do something exciting. This episode then is a two-parter that is a lot of like fast-paced sort of like cloak and dagger shit, really leans a little bit into Wit's history. We, I think for the first time, formally confirmed that he was in fact yeah. a United States uh, intelligence asset. This episode had a, a featurette. And so I was able to listen to the little behind the scenes oh. featurette for this oh, one. Wow. Okay. And Paul McCusker initially intended to set this in London. This apparently was taken from some news item he had read about somebody in the government leaving his laptop in his car on a bathroom break and then it getting stolen. Hmm. Um, and that the person who stole it probably didn't know that he had a laptop full of like top secret information. Sure. And so McCusker ran with that. He originally was going to set it in London and they were going to encounter special agent Duffield and he was going to be Reginald Duffield's son. Oh, Oh, no. Uh, Which is an idea that I think remains unexplored to this day. I don't think Hmm. we've ever seen another Duffield. Well, you know, you can't get enough Uh, of that wonderful Duff. If only Nate Lamagna were here to appreciate that right now. (laughs) I miss him. I miss him every day. They decided that it would be too hard to get actors who could do British accents. I mean, they've had trouble with that in the past. Uh, They've had such flawless accents up until this point. (laughs) I like that we're on the opposite sides of that. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, you got to do better. And you're like, no, make it worse (laughs) well i mean i I actually i'm kind of sad it wasn't set in london because i think spoilers regis blackguard's back yeah there he is um josh what is the fetishization of the midwest within evangelical circles or like why do why do you think odyssey focuses so much about like the purity of the heartland i think there's a couple reasons first of all that's where the freaks settled you know, like yeah. that, that's that's probably the biggest thing <laughs> who, who didn't who didn't veer too far. Right. They weren't the Mormon freaks. They right. were still Christian freaks. Right. The evangelicals. And I've talked about this a little bit in past episodes, but like my family, for instance, and I was just showing Brian my fucking family tree the other day. Yeah. Every single person in my family tree came over from the Netherlands and immediately settled in the Great Lakes Basin, either in West Michigan or Chicago. And so people who have similarities in terms of their worldview and characteristics, they tend to group up together. And so then you sort of get this mythology that is created, right? Because obviously what you do first is you ignore the fact that there were people there already. Uh uh, And instead you create this mythology where we were the ones who just sort of like came in and discovered it first and uh, immediately created you know, a a better, holier world. The other thing that I think is a factor is that there are a lot of religious schools in the Midwest and in Chicago specifically, Moody Bible College. Moody spelled M-O-O-D-Y. Yeah. Yeah. Evangelicals run the Midwest and that's why you get that. Um, And I I just want to put in, I did not do any of the the research on, on the term heartland, but it does have a very interesting history. And I would redirect our listeners to episode 130 of Citations Needed if they want to hear the history of the term heartland, which was a term that originally referred to places in Central Europe that were the agricultural centers of the continent. Mm. Oh. And then in the 1960s, that word was then rejiggered to apply to the American white Christian Midwest. That oh. recently? Yes. That That's recently. It was, it was done by newspaper columnists and PR men. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. 
I'm just looking at the size of this airport. I've been to the one in Los Angeles, but, but this... Well, O'Hare is one of the biggest airports in the world. I can believe that. All the biggest airlines fly here. The terminal covers miles. It's so big, the baggage claim is in a different time zone. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait. Why is she here with her employer? <laughs> she is 16 years old. She is a 16-year-old. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about how they have some sort of show Bible where they say, like, she ages, like, one year for every 2.5 years. That mm. is not true early on. Um, mm. She does not graduate. This is 1991 still. Sure. Um, she does not graduate high school until 1998. Well, her age. So she is still 16. It really does feel all over the place because for a lot of this episode, she's actually like a nine year old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow, this airport is so big. And it's like, you're 16 years old. You've seen big airports it's weird. before. Right? Like, and I, I will admit, like, O'Hare is an impressive airport. Even by the standards oh, of other sure. airports, like uh, it's got it, that colorful tunnel. But if you've been to any hub, whether you've been to Atlanta, LAX, JFK, you know any of those big hubs, you know what the deal is. I only go to good Christian airports like <laughs> Gerald R. Ford and Dallas Love Field. <laughs> well, I mean, also if you if you grew up in the '90s, you know how big O'Hare is because you watched Catherine O'Hara sprint through yeah, it yeah, yeah, in yeah, a yeah, mad. Yeah, yeah to get on a plane. So then as they're making their way out of the airport, they're going to go to the world-famous Excelsior Hotel, which is now in Chicago. That's fine. And Wit gets profiled. Some of you may be young. You may not remember the pre-9-11 days of flying. Things are a lot more lax, and not just at LAX, but at all the airports. <sighs> I mean, this doesn't happen today. Someone does not get, like, stopped by security on the way out of an airport out, yeah. today. No, it's always on the way in. And it certainly never happened then. So here's a highly unusual moment where Wit gets stopped by the police and Connie gets real That's fresh. Who you are. Could you turn it on so I can see something on the screen, please? Sure. Hey, what are you checking for? Bombs? Drugs? Bootleg tapes of the Praise Kids in concert? <laughs> Connie just says the word bomb. Uh, that's what you could do in the 90s. It oh was my quite God, a rip-roll in time. <laughs> Who are the Praise Kids? That was a question I had. I mean, the Praise Kids is just the name that they're using for any, like, the industry at this time of getting, like, children's choirs singing praise music. It was Big time stuff. Oh, the business was and, booming. And to think yeah. Wit having MP3s of it, that would have been very unusual. But <laughs> but so Wit has this laptop, a 1991 laptop. Right. And it's, a, uh, it's a, probably like a power book. He says it's both AC and DC. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. The guard tells him to open it up and look at it because who knows? They're not saying why. Uh, it's fine, though. Wit closes it back up. Yeah. Connie doesn't get arrested for saying the word bomb. It really is worth noting, though, at this point, like, just how new laptops were. Yeah. The first right. PowerBook, the first Apple PowerBook was the PowerBook 100, and it was released in October of 1991. This is brand new technology. And oh, yeah. that's probably, this probably is a power book. I mean, yeah, no, probably. It, again, this is the guy who never fucking watches TV. Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> who has cutting edge technology. He has in his every bag. computer that he can get to, so that he can bootleg the praise kids inquire. The other thing that we should note here as well is that the whole reason that wit is in town is that there's a big mm -hmm. meeting for the encyclopedia company that yes. he owns. And you remember this, United oh, Press. Oh, I'm having an encyclopedia meeting. This is uh, Wits U.S. Intelligence Front slash Encyclopedia yeah. Yeah, it's never been clear to me that he's part of, like, a secret organization. Right. And, and for some reason, he's taken Connie along 
But like Connie doesn't have anything to do with the encyclopedia thing. They're just going to go see sites. There's no reason for Connie, the 16 year old girl, to be on this trip with him. Yeah. What, what does she do while he's in his meetings? Does she just have to sit in the hotel room and stare out the window? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> does she have to do wait her for that hair, window? Put on makeup. I mean, the, the, know, the, the, the hotel's in the loop. So like. She could probably walk around. She can go up to Steppenwolf. <laughs> there you go. Gary, see John Malkovich. See John Malkovich and Gary Sinise. Yeah. Doing a fucking You know what play. 16 year old girls love is Gary Sinise. And David Mamet. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm. Can't get enough of them. <laughs> At him. this point, then, Connie and Wit hop into a shuttle van, which is going to take them to the hotel. And there's this third guy. Who's in the van? Gregory Kelly. He's voiced by the young man who did the voice of Jack Davis. If you remember Jack Davis from the War of 1812 episode, his voice has changed. I fully blocked it from my mind, yes. His voice has changed, and now he sounds like Wart in The Sword in the Stone. Guy in the van, he's acting sus. And he actually... Very sus. Aggressively sus. Ends up getting out of the van early. Uh, and, And he gets out of the van... Right after the driver lets them all know that there was this big thing going on, and then there was for some reason the driver knows all of this shit that there was a laptop. Yeah, that how got the stolen fuck does he know all this shit from the fucking United States Department of Defense? He he he. For, this driver for some reason knows. I like that the to laptop, think Greg Kelly got into the shuttle while trying to lay low, and then he told the driver everything. Right. <laughs> so so the government lost this laptop. And they're say, yeah. all looking for this laptop, and I yeah. think I may have that laptop, and hitherto-for may not know. Very Greg from Succession move. <laughs> yes, cousin, cousin Greg Kelly. <laughs> so then, after they get to the hotel, Wit's on a, another one-sided phone call, classic. Um, they're going to be doing some sightseeing that afternoon, and then... They're going to go to the Sears Sears Tower, Willis baby. Tower. It's yeah. still called yeah. the... Everybody knows that it's still called it's the Sears, Sears Tower. Tower. It's the Sears Tower. Yeah. yeah. Then on TV, which is playing in the background, we learn that the, there's the suspect, the guy who may or may not have stolen this laptop from DOD, is the very same guy in the van. And that suspect, Greg Kelly, had no idea of what he was seeing. There he is! There he is! See, see the picture? I see, I see. convicted of petty theft on two previous occasions. Authorities are asking Greg Kelly or anyone who has seen him to call one of the numbers on top of the screen immediately because of the top secret nature of the missing laptop computer. Authorities fear Kelly's life may be in danger. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> then we, we meet. Oh, who could this be? Who? Don't you sit there and say something. Cats are amazing creatures. Who is this? Who is this guy? Who could this possibly, possibly be? Who is he? And yet when they're angry. Uh, so, yeah, That's Greg is is working for this this guy, this guy. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? It, who is this guy? Who, I, I, it's it's uh, who is this Ryan, guy? He has Ryan, a it's Regis who? Blackard. It's Dr. Regis Blackard. What? Oh, my what? God. What? Uh, what? No, they haven't said they have not said his name is Regis Blackard yet. I, I, I don't believe it. So then. You know, Regis's stooge shows up, a man named Pinky, and we're going to talk about him a little bit. Oh, do we ah, have to? Pinky, is it the right machine? No, it's just a regular laptop. <laughs> but, but it's the one I got out of the car, I swear. Are you sure it's the wrong one, Pinky? Yes, the owner's name is engraved on the bottom. I've checked all the files on the hard disk. Boring, academic material, no military secrets. Interesting. It like starts as like 
I don't want to say Russian, like maybe Georgian. Sort of, it's a little perfect. It's, it's and then, but then he then he turns Caucasian, in, yeah. Well, yeah. he turns Israeli by the end of it. Well, there's also <laughs> there's the a Schwarzenegger be, thing. I was going to say, to be very yeah, clear, the, he, the Schwarzenegger thing becomes more pronounced during when he's a clown. Yeah, Pinky would end up going on to become governor of the state of California. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so then he was we my find governor out, for a long time, friends. We find out somehow this whole scheme is like. Way more complicated than it needs to be uh, <laughs> because Pinky was actually the government agent that got robbed, but he's not a government agent. He right. was just pretending to be or not, not an agent, a courier. Right. And he had all so he had already stolen it for Blackard. And then Greg Kelly somehow stole the laptop from him. And then, but he's also working for Blackard. Got it to Blackard. But then you find out, oh no, the 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 laptop bags got switched, right. and Greg has the wrong laptop. Oh, Sasha, it was all going to be so easy, wasn't it? Disguise Pinky as the courier, have him pick up the computer and bring it directly back here. <laughs> Only he makes a pit stop and Kelly steals the computer. How? And he grabs the wrong one out of a hotel. Good. Sounds like a Marx Brothers movie. I just wanted to say here, this is a masterclass in how you write exposition. Yeah. It's just, it's natural. It flows. You don't even notice. I mean, to be fair, it is hard to notice with that soothing voice. The, th the detail that I'd missed before and perhaps even in the previous episode is that his cat is named Sasha. Yeah. What a, that's a great name for a cat. Well, and it, it, that's the thing is you have Earl Bowen at least, and he can say lines like "bunglers." I'm surrounded by, by bunglers, bunglers and make it work. Yeah, like he makes yeah. it work so much. He really, he really does. Uh, so here's, I guess, the big question: What Blackard has his hands? He's kind of like the Moriarty, right, of the series. He is, yeah. he yeah. is the Napoleon of crime. He has his hands in like every little under underhanded scheme happening in the city of Chicago. And oh, wait, one I'm sorry, Blackard? What? Who? Uh-oh. Who is this stranger, and why does his laugh sound so familiar? <laughs> I don't think it's Blackard, because Chris said he's a stranger. It could be. That is true. Also it is a mysterious uh -oh. stranger. Yeah, she also, she also said, uh-oh. Uh -oh. At the beginning of the episode, she also said, um, if you're like me, you love surprises, which is the scariest <laughs> sentence I've ever heard in my life. How does it make you feel when Chris says, uh-oh, AJ? It makes me feel like she's being held at gunpoint to say it. I've never heard Chris say an uh-oh, where I'm like, that was organic. That was a great take. Uh, one and done. It's like he's trying to do both North by Northwest and What's Up, Doc. Yeah. And I, yep. it's just. Uh, <laughs> um, the, 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 the real thing to take away, obviously, from all of this is that Blaggard has Wit's laptop. That's all we really yes. need to know. Well, and also Cousin, and, cousin and Greg Wit, is killed. And Wit has the Yeah, that's right. They laptop. fucking kill him. They fucking fridge Cousin Greg. <laughs> he, yeah, it really. Yeah, I think he's dead. I'm pretty certain he's just dead. Like, yeah. they, they, they very strongly imply it. They're like, we'll take care of him. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, but like the cops aren't going to find me, right? And it's just like, oh, <laughs> the police will the never find you. The cops aren't going to uh, ascertain um, my whereabouts. So then Wit and Connie are now being detained by the police because they That's called the tip line. And so they're now down at the station, but they're right. being interviewed by a special agent, which I think means FBI, like a Fed. Special yeah. Agent Phillips. They were about to go free, but then Wit needed another background check because he has Q clearance. Um, yeah. And Connie's like, why does he have special clearance? Normally you would have been out of here by now, but your position, Mr. Whitaker, required an additional security check. You had to double check Wit? 
Why? Mr. Whitaker knows the answer to that, I think. Remember applesauce, Connie? The computer program? How could uh -huh. I forget it? Made Witzen go crazy. You made that for the Department of Defense? Among others. She knows about applesauce? Well, nothing that wouldn't breach security. But you destroyed applesauce. Well, it's not the only program I've worked on, Connie. <laughs> Once an agent, always an agent, eh, Whitaker? An agent? <laughs> you can't just that was say very, that. Very long time ago. Among others? <laughs> Wit has made a program called Applesauce, and if we remember what Applesauce did, the first part of it is running diagnostics on Wit's <laughs> End, and the second part is a top-secret Department of right. Defense program. <laughs> yep, it's like, I have to check to see if all the blenders work at once, and then... <laughs> horrible things that we cannot talk about. Why yeah. is it doing both of these things at once? I, had, I tried to toast bread, and I accidentally declared war in Iran. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, at this point, they get pressed, or Wit gets pressed by his agent, like, who do you work yeah. for, right? And Wit remains steadfast in his denial, like, he's like, no, I'm just here for, you know, my gig with the encyclopedia company, and eventually they're free to go. And actually, Agent Phillips then drives them to the Sears Tower, which is yeah. interesting, because they never mentioned that they were going to the Sears Tower. How yeah, did he how, know? How would he know? Because uh, he had bugged the room. Oh, oh. I love that Agent Phillips is also like, I am convinced you are a spy. You're free to go. I'll give you a ride. But this makes sense when we know what Phillips's angle is. We sure do. I guess. Yes. I don't know. Nah, no, it probably doesn't make sense really, if you think about it, but I'm not gonna. So they get back to the hotel. Wit tells Connie not to talk about his past yeah. at all. Like, this is strictly between us, Connie. <laughs> Need to know uh, information. Wit's suite has been burgled. Right. Or at least broken into, but like not very well burgled. It was the laptop is still say. yeah yeah surrounded, surrounded by, by burglars and bunglers, 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 um, bunglers, bunglers and burglars is nothing a but bunglers. Ripoff. Yeah, they <laughs> they don't steal the laptop. They don't manage to get. He right. has two bags on him, and mm -hmm. they don't manage to get one of them. Nope. <laughs> and they uh, steal the other one. <laughs> the manager of the hotel has then taken the, the stuff, including the laptop, yep. and put it into the hotel safe, like in the main office yep. for safekeeping. And then um, Connie gets kidnapped. Right. By Piggy. Right. Uh, we also learn in the scene where uh, Wit gets uh, uh, bungled and burgled that he and Connie do have separate Buggered. rooms. And I can't tell yes. you what a sigh of relief I breathed when I found separate. out. <laughs> But neighboring. Do they have a little door? Probably. They probably have the door. They, they probably, probably have, have the door. door. They've got to have the door, right? They have the do, you think, do you think that Wit puts a glass against the wall just to hear Connie pray? Yes. Because <laughs> I think, I think says, that's what he's doing. Oh, Connie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wit has so much money and this is something well, that he I has money to... that's like not his that he has access to he has right? capital like, like and, and, Jeffrey and Epstein exactly yeah. and, and this is something that <laughs> this episode makes very very clear Jesus. that wit is not just wealthy he's also connected there's this huge like sort of contradictory thing about him right because he says at one point why would somebody burgle me I don't have anything anyone would want to steal <laughs> and it's like he is simultaneously this rich you have a laptop in 1991 <laughs> yeah he's like this rich like land owning gentry class who's also just like I'm just a simple country folk and it's like no yeah. you're not you you work for the DOD Which like I you're a weapons think manufacturer. speaks very well to the evangelical identity too mm. 
Right. Like, oh, I'm just a simple little country boy. The base model. I just... don't know what that was. It, that that was like a pinky thing. Um, Hello, it just I'm changed just, I'm just a little country I'm boy. I'm just a boy. I'm so tiny. <laughs> Somebody pick me up and put me in a pocket. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> just to be very clear about this, I, I wanted to let you guys know. Again, the PowerBook 100, the first mass market laptop, was created by Apple and released mm-hmm. to consumers in October of 1991 for the retail price of 2,500 United States dollars. That's a lot of money. That's for the base God model, damn. and that is real goddamn money. That's like five thousand in today's money. Yeah, uh, forty. Or, or yeah, more. like forty-eight hundred bucks. So it had a nine-inch monochrome LCD panel. Okay. You could have two megabytes of random access memory. Sure. Which could which could be expandable up to eight, a whopping oh. eight megs of RAM. Oh, tell me more about that RAM. Ran a Motorola sixty eight thousand processor. Came oh, with yeah. a twenty yeah. megabyte hard drive. Five point one pounds. Oh, that's too big for me, the tiniest country boy. <laughs> Damn it. I could never even lift up the lid. I'm so tiny, but I could jump on the keys one at a time. Oh, look at me go, writing a whole novel with my feet. This is the new guy. This is the newest guy. He's the smallest little guy. Um, Did you know Ulysses was originally smuggled into the United States over the Great Lakes? It first appeared in Chicago. I wouldn't know, though. That book is too big for me. (laughs) The tiniest country boy. So this episode of Adventures in Odyssey then wraps up with... uh, I love love that you can bring in the James Joyce facts. It's very nice. That's that's all I got. Pinky takes Connie down to the parking garage of the hotel. She's like, well, I know John Avery Whitaker. And 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 of course this guy comes out and what a coincidence. She's like, you're Regis Blackard. And then I was like, wow. Yeah, so that's and so was Chris. That was. So was Chris. Chris was just like floored. Yeah. Astounded. Uh, I love that Pinky says, nobody wants to hurt you. Unlike that guy. I killed earlier. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't stop talking about his whereabouts. We're in episode two. Wit gets a call. He's hanging out with the lobbyman. Connie's like, you need to go to North University. And then she hangs up. She's a hostage. Chicago College. North University, yes. but the South yep. Campus of North the University. The South Campus of North University. I'm like, you couldn't have just like phrased that a little bit better when you're making something up. Yeah. <laughs> you go to the southeast of Northwestern on the western side of the northern. It's actually called South Park, and I was briefly like, we're going to South going Park. Going down to South Park and have <laughs> myself a time. time. One thing that I thought was interesting about this episode is that Chicago like I said, is used, I think, because it is a stand-in for a big cosmopolitan city in the Midwestern cultural imagination. Right. But this episode is completely lacking in any type of specificity whatsoever, with the exception of talking about the fact that they're at ORD at the beginning of the episode. Connie's now being held at Blackard's warehouse. What do you think of my new operation? My warehouse. Every conceivable electronic device for every conceivable need. I'm opening a chain of stores. You're kidding. I was even thinking of opening one in Odyssey. I didn't even piece that together. Oh my <laughs> god, Electric Palace is, is a blackguard thing? What? Uh, what? 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 No, don't worry what? about it. We'll get, we'll get to that what? in the fourth episode. What? 
What? Wait. He what? So oh he's God got every it. conceivable electronic for every conceivable need. I don't think we're going to hear that phrase again. Oh. Uh, uh, yes. But, but, and so he, yeah, so he's running a distribution center here in the middle of Chicago that's going to serve the rest of the country and be a direct competitor to Radio Shack. Not the middle of Chicago. They are in the famous East Side Warehouse District of Chicago. Right. That's where they filmed Dark Knight. <laughs> they're not in Pilsen. They're not in the back of the yard. They're not Mm -mm. in anywhere that you might have heard of. Blackard gives Connie the rundown on, like, why he's not in prison. Right. Well, then why didn't you stick around to defend yourself? You just disappeared. I had urgent business elsewhere and left the managing of my property to Mr. Glossman. More like Grossman. More like like that, yes. But, but he... Woo! You have more loopholes than a spaghetti strainer. Got him. <laughs> Wait. Uh, this yes, is it. that Odyssean humor. <laughs> I I love that moment because it. I think it's one of the few Very moments meta. where they acknowledge how terrible the jokes are. Yeah. Uh, Richard Maxwell has been tried and convicted and he's in prison. Yes. We assume. And uh, he testified that he did all of this as a lackey for Regis Blackard. And apparently that just was like water off a duck's back. And he talked about all his little loopholes that he did. I I don't think there's a very thorough understanding of the legal system here. But whatever. Blackard's free. He's out and about. He's hanging out in Chicago. And he's inventing Radio Shack. When Radio Shack already exists. Richard Maxwell, for those of you who had not listened to the episode about Richard. Richard. He had uh, a silver hammer served as what bang bang maxwell silver hammer the aka the greatest beatles song ever written okay so bang 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 goes the maxwell dang clang clang went the richard i'm going to kill myself Hold on, Josh, Josh, would it help if I brought the tiny countryman back? Every day, the two of you drive me closer and closer to self-harm. Do you want want me to? Because we're doing the same thing to AJ. I'm perfectly fine and well-adjusted, apparently. Exactly. Our mental health is better than it's ever been. I'm just already so far deep that I can't get anywhere. Josh, would it help if I brought back the tiniest countryman? It would not. (laughs) Richard Maxwell was a guy who did a couple things. One thing that he did was he ran a grade fixing scheme at Campbell County Community College. Honestly, the worst of his crimes. And then the other big thing that he did was he committed arson. Uh, twice. But one was good arson. Uh, to Tom Riley's barn and entire, basically like he has a whole fucking homestead that he largely burned to the ground, including a lot of the orchard. The other arson that he committed was Blaggard's Castle, which of course was Regis Blaggard's competitor to wit's end, basically. Yeah. But it was an arcade. A degenerate video arcade. Degenerate video mm-hmm. arcade. At this mm-hmm. point then, there's a lot of plot that happens and I just, I don't think it's worth like yeah, really no, talking so, about this. Yeah, like, like Wit does this like, he goes to the, the campus to do a drop off and then they do like a classic Hitchcock kind of scene where a clown approaches him And then a parade passes by. And for some reason, they had positioned themselves on the the other side of the parade. Why Why did they do a rider in the parade? Just wait an hour. (laughs) But they were like taken by surprise by the parade. It's like (laughs) you saw people lining up. You should have gotten to the other side. And, you know, just like, oh, we can't see him. He's behind the Shriners and their tiny cars. (laughs) Damn you, Freemasons. (laughs) And you know what? You know what? It's it's really good. They have those tiny cars because that's what's usually driven by the tiny country <laughs> boys. Um, they can all fit in one. Yeah. Uh, Wit has put himself on the line. If the right. operation's a failure, Wit's going to Gitmo. Yeah, so he the parade passes by 
And <laughs> unlike Dolly, they miss it. Obviously, like if if you're if you've seen these kinds of movies, you know the clown is actually important here, right? right. Of so course. no one dresses up like a clown in Chicago of all places oh, unless no. they're up to no good. Oh my god. He like walks up to him right at the beginning and nothing happens. Whatever. Right. So the parade has passed, wit is gone, then wit awakens. From his unconsciousness in the sewers of Chicago yeah. <laughs> with Richard Maxwell hovering over him was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I just pulled open the manhole and sucked you in. I guess he got like knocked and the fuck out. then I hit you a bunch, but I'm actually a good guy now. <laughs> yeah, just so Richard, call him on the phone, So Richard. Richard Maxwell, apparently two years have passed. Yes. But uh, Connie's still 16. Mm -hmm. And Richard is out on good behavior. And now he starts behaving badly because he's going to take down Regis Blackguard entirely on his own. He's not working with any agency or anything like that. He's just been stalking Regis in Chicago and trying to find a way to destroy him. And now Wit has 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 dropped in. This uh, this plot line felt very 24 to me. Blackard starts talking to Connie about all these other loopholes for why he hasn't technically kidnapped her. And again, right. this would not hold up in court. No. I could see it like working as a manipulation in the moment where he can convince a 16 year old girl that like nothing will happen to him. But then like he's going to get arrested, but apparently not. So no. here's here's a big question for me. Does yeah. a spaghetti strainer have loopholes or does it just have holes? Just holes. Yeah, they're not loops. Yeah. Yeah. It makes no it makes absolutely make yeah. sense at all. No. It's, it's why that phrase really sits sit, sat hard on my brain. Wit has has arranged this whole like meeting with Blackard. Now they 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 find him at his warehouse mm. as he's menacing Connie. Richard, of course, is also there. Right. And then you may as well give up, Blackard. Give up? Oh, please! Because the two of you have me surrounded. What are you going to do? Frighten me with rude expressions? Funny? <laughs> you're a very funny man. You see? But I can do better than that. Like with this gun. Richard! <laughs> so Richard pulls out a gun. Yeah, and he, yeah. he has a gun. He says, it took me two years to think of this. I'm like, it took you two years to think of a gun? <laughs> and, again, and, and what happens next is, again, very 24. Like he forces yeah. Blaggard to get down on his knees. Right, I'm on my knees. Now what do you want? I want you to beg for your life. Richard! Don't hurt me, Richard. Please. You can do better than that. Uh, uh, Please don't hurt me. I'll do anything you want, but please don't hurt me. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to spend two years in the detention center. I'll make it up to you. Somehow, please don't hurt me. Please, just put the gun away. Whatever you want, please. Is Please. this what you wanted, Richard? Is this the revenge? How does it taste, huh? Delicious. Was it worth two years? Get out of the way! <laughs> Don't you understand? When you go out for revenge, you've got to dig two graves. One for the person you're after and one for yourself. You're in the line of fire. That's right. And this is where I'll stay until you put the gun away. Richard, there's no such thing as revenge. Not really. It never replaces what you lost. It never restores. It doesn't even satisfy. Wit is actually willing to make a sacrifice here. This is like the only time you see Wit mm-hmm. actually putting something on the line, and he mm-hmm. is now standing between Richard Maxwell and Regis Blackard right. to keep Maxwell from killing Blackard. More for Maxwell's sake than for Blackard's sake. Right. Absolutely. It's Batman of the Joker scenario. To me, this is the only scene in this entire two-parter that has any real dramatic heft to it, and I'm curious yeah, yeah. to hear how you guys felt about it. Honestly, the thing I like most about the scene is that Richard 
doubles down on being like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. Yeah. And the stakes seem at least at this point, really, really high. He's just like, this man ruined my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to enact my revenge. And I was like, Ooh, actual steaks. Right. This is tasty. Put a little a one sauce on those steaks, but it turns out, Nope. Yeah, it's just a squirt gun. It's a water gun. It's a fucking water gun. you know, Richard Maxwell got to live out a very sadistic fantasy. Power fantasy, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. And and I think think it it gets the meaning across. I think Witt expresses it well enough, like the idea that revenge doesn't ever bring back whatever was Mm -hmm. wronged, but um, neither does sending people to prison, it turns out. Um, So, (laughs) uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) then, yeah, so our special agent... Mr. Phillips yeah. shows up and then it's like, oh, I'm working for Blackguard. Anyway, fuck you. And he takes the laptop and says, Arrivederci, amigos. <laughs> 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 and uh, we find out that Wit actually did like a, a, a double reverse swap. Yeah. And the yep. computer so he had on him was rigged to self-destruct. Erase everything, and, yeah. And, and also yeah. there's an MP3 on there. Yeah, uh, so in he had Richard Maxwell. Him, yeah. yeah, post this little goofy like, fuck you. That, is that was it a like, video was, or is it an audio file? It uh, might have been I, a qu- would assume, I would assume an audio file, but with like a three-frame GIF of like Wit and or Richard being goofy because I feel like that's what movies used to do in the 90s whenever something got hacked you'd see like a little uh, jack in the box uh, you yeah. didn't say uh, the uh, you didn't say uh, yeah, that's true because yeah, yeah. uh, uh, I was just like how long did they record themselves laughing <laughs> so so the fu- the laptop gets erased and then yep. Chris comes on in what is the most abrupt gear shift I think in Odyssey <laughs> history. Coming She's like, here's a Bible verse. Here's all thirteen things that God hates, according to the <laughs> Apostle Paul. Yeah. And it's like, why didn't you do a verse about revenge? Right. We actually it, had it a revenge no thing here, but then they're like, here's why the Bible says there's bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes think that the Chris stuff is written. It feels like it's written by a separate department that. They, yeah, they just it, don't talk to each but other. Like, but they all talk to each other. Yeah. Everybody cycles through it's this whole baffling. thing. Everyone directs and writes and whatever. It's it's it, it doesn't make any sense why this happens the way that it happens. Connie actively solicits ideas from all the children listening in. I mean, Chris. Chris. God damn it. I wrote just take it, it again. Wrong. All women are the same to you, huh? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, they are to me, the little tiny country boy. <laughs> I have to really re-examine. I can't see any of their faces. (laughs) I'm so tiny. Uh, (laughs) Might uh, be a tiny boy, but his biases huge. (laughs) (laughs) Like you were saying, a a better Bible verse for this, if you wanted to go down that road, would be something that is actually about revenge. And uh, Mm -hmm. I got a nice little verse here. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Boom. That's it. That's the verse. Do you agree with wit fundamentally that like, there cannot ever be a place for revenge or that the attempt for vengeance in any way, shape or form is always going to be a futile effort. Josh, I don't know if you know this, but the people that you're avenging on, they have families and those families will then come after you for revenge. This will connect too with like the second half as well. It's like the idea of vengeance or like what is a proper reparation for a heinous act look like is like the foundation on which we build our societies, right? right? One of the only preserved tragedies of ancient Athens is, and, and the only preserved uh, trilogy 
is the Oristia, right? Which is all about that thing. Like um, Agamemnon sacrifices Clytemnestra's daughter. It's his daughter too, but you know, yeah. <clears throat> Clytemnestra then butchers him. And then Orestes takes vengeance out on her. And the question that arises by the time you get to the Eumenides is which act of vengeance was the justified one? Is Orestes mm, right. at the end of the day the correct one? And what they do is the, you know, the Furies become a, a jury of his his um winged peers. And Athena says <laughs> They put some wings yeah, on them. This is the and, and that that is the myth of the foundation of Athens. Is like this is where we've decided what a just action is mm -hmm. right the right. greeks didn't have a concept of sin at this time like like the jews had they had a concept of pollution societal pollution mm, and so then how is how do you write that societal pollution so you see that too with um oedipus oedipus technically did nothing wrong right but he created pollution and that had to be mm, resolved expunged. in some way. Yeah. yeah. Because Oedipus, by killing his father, did so just killing a man in self-defense, not knowing who he was, and then marrying his mother. Again, married a woman he didn't know who turned out to be his mother. But that still creates that pollution. Um, and a lot of building, I think, like liberalism is where do we apportion that? Like in a much more modern setting, who takes care of the act of vengeance, because that's, I mean, right. the idea of justice is like, how do you even separate that from vengeance, right? You're still punishing, you're still fining and imprisoning people right. for carrying out something bad. It's not the Hammurabi code. It's not, you know, like you cut off a hand of a thief or something very specific. It's like you lock someone away for a certain amount of years. And that's what's interesting to me is like, Odyssey is really leaning hard on the idea that prison actually rehabilitates people. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is correct. He has been locked away, but in a way that has made him a better person, um, as opposed to revenge, which simply brings violence against somebody else. Yeah. And so their concept of it is 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 that the prison is not actually violent. The 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 state is not violent in this incident. The the, the perspective I think that's implicit to this episode is that. It is wrong for private individuals to exert force yeah, to right. remedy wrongdoing, but that the force of the state is not only an appropriate corrective, but the necessary yeah. corrective. And, and right. Wit's, Wit's case to Richard specifically is correct, right? If Richard kills Regis Blackard, He's going Regis Blackard has right. exploited the system and he should already be in prison or whatever. But because that hasn't happened, if he just kills Re Regis... He's going to ruin his life. One, yeah. he's going to have the psychological weight of having killed another human being on his head. Of course. And he's going to be back in prison. Right. He will not be able to improve his life. While now that he's free, he can do that. And we'll see him try to work on that. A question that this show never seems to ask. It's very fine with having Watchmen and it never asks who watches the Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just the Watchmen are always good because right. they serve the greater good of society. Except for this one special agent. Right. Except for this one special agent who was on the take. But this goes back also to, again, like suppositions. There's this idea that, um, and I don't remember the exact verse off the top of my head, but it's the thing of like any authority that is put in place is put there by God. Therefore, you yep. must respect said yep. authority. That's a, that's, a, that's a baseline 
assumption that is part that verse of... actually comes up in the episode where Connie graduates from high school, actually. Huh. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> um, well, and you know, the, 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 this concept of justice and like, what is justice and where, where does the cycle end is also the center of Friedrich Durenmott's play, the visit, which we will do an episode at some point because I'm going to make you guys do it. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, the visit centers around this really heinous act carried out by the main character that led to the death of a child and the expulsion of a young woman from a community. Right. She, in turn, says she will restore this entire town back to its former glory with lots and lots of money that she's made through her her many husbands. Billions. And uh, all they have to do is kill that guy. Right. And they say they won't do it, they won't do it, and eventually they do it. But, and, and, and they do make the town a better place. That's what's interesting. Yeah. But like the teacher says to Ill, there will always be an old woman for each of us, right? Ill's wife, for instance, she leaves town when they go to kill him and she could come back and turn it around on them. And what is required for a society to improve and continue moving forward is at some point you say, we just have to bury something. And this is true across like all of history. There's something where you just say, okay, no, we just have to stop. And take another step this way, regardless of whether it's right in the individual or abstract sense. This episode, I mean, this episode does not engage with this at all. <laughs> that no, deep of a way. No, no. But it is an interesting thing that starts to come up. And, and it's something that we will keep in mind as we discuss the concept of uh, forgiveness. Odyssey is a show that will present a gun, a complex issue that you think they're going to grapple with. And then it turns out you're squirted in the face. Yeah. Just like we're sucking that penis in Just Romania. Sucking that Romanian <laughs> penis. There we go. Guten hello, listeners. This is Pinky, America's favorite ex stooge. Do you like cake? Do you like cream puffs that are to die for? Do you get cookies from big chain stores who don't understand your cookie needs? Well, put the cookie down now! And come on down to Pinky's Patisserie, located off the I-90 between the burnt-down IHOP and that store that sells haunted lamps. The lights won't stop flickering! Pinky's Patisserie crafts cakes that always delight and surprise, all of them based on my own life experience. Try our signature Garrett cake, made with real piano wire. Or why not try our Swiss rolls, made with a real Swiss rolled inside? Or how about a donut? The donut is filled with knives! So come on down to Pinky's Patisserie so I can forget about the last job I did before I retired when I went on a road trip with my new friend Greg and found out that Greg was also very much into baking and we talked about Gunther, that's my stepfather Gunther and how he taught me everything he knows about baking and Greg said that maybe I should follow my passions instead of just doing the thing that pays the most, you know? And I felt seen in a way that I hadn't really ever felt seen before. And when I later had my hands around his neck, I didn't feel the satisfaction of a job well done. I just felt nothing. One of the last things Greg said before he died was that he hoped I would open that shop someday and that he forgave me. But what if I can't forgive me? What if Pinky can't forgive Pinky? So say hasta la vista, baby, to those sweet cravings, and say I'll be back to me, Pinky. As you are leaving Pinky's Patisserie with a cake in the shape of my friend Greg's lifeless eyeballs. Pinky's Patisserie, if you think you know us, you do not. So welcome back, everybody. Because we are speaking so much on revenge, I invite you all to... 
Attend the tale of Riley T. The only farmer in Odyssey. I don't, I don't think we're his horses drew him great acclaim until they were almost this. consumed in the flames <laughs> of Maxwell, of Maxwell R, the demon arson of awe. To see, swing your matches wide, Maxwell. Oh, God. So, did you do the whole thing? No, that's did all. Did you do the entire musical? That's all I have. <laughs> You know, we're, we, we've called this, we've titled this episode Christ. of our podcast, Richard Ditchard Redemption. Yeah. And yeah, uh, baby. that's because the next couple episodes are actually going to deal with the aftermath of noted arsonist pedophile Richard Maxwell. Uh-huh. <laughs> and his dealings with Dutch Vanderlind. That's right. <laughs> I have a plan, Richard. I have a plan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we open the episode uh, with Officer Irishman, whose name yeah, I did not Yeah, I forgot quote. Officer Orion came back. But, Officer you know, Orion, it's just, dude. There he is. There's Again, Officer Orion. This is Will Ryan doing a voice. This officer is a little goofy. Is is a little goofy sort of like the, the tiny man? Well, he's just, just still a goofy kind of move. He's just, just a little goofy. A <laughs> hook. <laughs> so Chris is wondering what exactly is going on, because Officer Orion is taking in Maxwell at the precinct in Odyssey. And uh, Tom, Tom Riley, has swung by wit's end. And yep. he's heard a few things because Tom is always talking to people in the town. He's uh, heard that. Blackguard's Castle, the lot that formerly ha- held Blackguard's Castle, is getting cleared. The whole building is being demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, he has heard, actually, he has seen, he saw on a bus on the way in. Because mm-hmm. I guess Tom is just, like, looking at buses as they drive by and well, seeing who's in them. he's always looking to see if, if Wit or his friend whose wife left him for a horse are, are <laughs> yes. driving past. Yeah, he's been trying to hail a bus for years. And right. every time was just like, we don't stop for him. And uh, <laughs> Richard's in town and Tom doesn't trust Richard, nor should he, because, again, it bears repeating. Richard Maxwell burned down most of his property and uh, almost killed him and almost and killed his him horses. and his horses. Like he Except almost for the one who was missing. Had it not been for John Avery Whitaker, he would have fucking died. And yeah. so I get it. Right. Additionally, Eugene. Not thrilled that Richard is back due to the fact that Richard Maxwell created this great fixing scheme. Yeah, they, they spent yeah. a lot of this episode rehashing precisely what it was that he mm-hmm. did in all of these episodes. Like the first uh, right. third is really just telling us right. where he'd been, which is which is fair because, you know, Odyssey is episodic. It's not yeah. technically serialized. So yeah, like years if you passed at this point. Yeah. And uh, finally, yeah, the third the third person that Richard owes an apology to, of course, is uh, Lucy Cunningham Schultz, who. He also almost killed uh, yes. by directing uh, a surge of electricity to the imagination station while Lucy was inside of it. And also, again, just to be very clear, Richard Maxwell is a pedophile. Right. <laughs> he was grooming that kid. And Absolutely. it is very clear when she when he sees her and says, oh, you've grown up. <laughs> yep. Uh, I wrote the note, get that man away from that child. Uh, it is, they put Lucy into some really weird situations yeah. in this episode. The whole gang heads over to Wit's End. And mm-hmm. uh, Wit 
immediately fucks off and just leaves all of them alone together. Arrivederci, amigos. <laughs> he walks outside, he hails a bus. That guy's like, no, I was almost home this time. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't go well, you know? Uh, they, they're, they're not happy to see Richard, and yeah. why should they be? We see Richard over at Blackard's castle as right. they're prepping it for demolition. Right. Well, well, well. Hey, excuse me. Yeah, what do you want? What's going on here? What's it look like? A sewing dresses? Tearing down this burnt out building. <laughs> so glad you got this quote. I have a note here, AJ. Yeah. I want to ask you specifically mm-hmm. oh, your thoughts about this random guy who is here guy. on the demolition site just kind of like <laughs> saying stuff. Can I, can I, I mean, look. Can I be honest and say that in my head when I heard the scene, I imagined that all around them construction was happening, mm. but it was just a bunch of guys sewing dresses. <laughs> so when he has, what do we look like? Sewing dresses? Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> oh, good, because that, that's, that's, that's what we're that's doing. That's actually a joke in the musical Skyscraper, which was produced once on Broadway and then never done again, not even by a community theater or high school anywhere in the last 50 some years. But huh. there's a song huh. where the construction workers, who are of course taking such a long break because of the union use their breaks to like moonlight in other things Uh and they get into haute couture. Well, because God forbid that anybody, you know, have something that they're passionate about that they're able to do when they are not exchanging their labor for surplus value. So they have a kind of fun song in the second act called Haute Couture where they all talk about the dresses they're designing. Hmm. Is this a bad musical (laughs) or is it a good musical? As someone who almost did the first production of it in exactly 50 years since the original, Mm -hmm. It's a bad musical. Mm. Mm-hmm. If we reach 200 patrons, we will put on a there production of Skyscraper. It's actually, it's from Peter Stone, who really? the next year did the libretto for 1776, right. which is one of the greatest musicals really Loves, ever written. Love 1776. Yeah. I mean, I want our, our listeners to understand, just because I hate America, I do not hate 1776, the excellent musical. It's a very good musical about the inherent contradictions that were are at the heart of this country's founding. Yeah. Uh, it's a musical about authoritarianism. It's a little bit on the nose at times because it is a product of its time. Right. But it's good. So so here are the guys in, in the in the cast of Skyscraper getting ready to tear down Blackard's castle. Right. And Wit shows up. Basically, Richard and Wit get to talking. Richard wants to do an apology tour. His initial encounters have not gone well. So he then says, look, can you help me out? Wit says, well, you should probably apologize to God first. And I, I do like the respect <laughs> that they have for their yeah. characters at this point in time. R- Richard doesn't have that moment. Right. He does not get down on his knees and confess. But also, just like, if you want to satisfy this guy, just be like, hey, God, I'm sorry. God right. says he forgives me. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, I called him on the it. phone earlier. He said it's fine. <laughs> I purchased this thing from a priest yeah. that says I'm getting into heaven. I'm good. Basically, then at this point, Wit assists... Richard in his apology tour. And the first yeah. attempt is to uh, Connie, which actually goes well. We don't even yeah, see screen. it. We just yeah. hear that it went well. And then he goes on to see Eugene. Eugene, of course, is not a Christian. Right. And so his forgiveness yeah. is not easily earned. And he has his own way of Sheldon Coopering his way to forgiveness. Right. <laughs> Perhaps I can accept your apology, but the notion of forgiveness is questionable to me. If to forgive is to forget, then I cannot forgive you, for I will never forget what you did to poor Nicholas or myself. However, 
If to forgive is to say I will accept your apology without the delusion that will somehow become anything more than passing acquaintances, then yes, I suppose I, I, I can forgive you under those terms. Uh, was that a yes? Um, yeah, a conditional yes, yes. <laughs> I'll take it. Because <laughs> it wasn't locked down, you'll take it. And then he twists the knife there yeah. at the end. You can really hear the anguish in... Eugene's voice as he's trying yeah. to figure out what's going on. You really see him not making eye contact yeah. mm. with Richard, which is an incredible thing to do in an audio only medium to like to fully see the, okay, I'm not, I can't, I can't actually confront this head on, but I'm going to mm -hmm. calculate it through in my head. And uh, I, I genuinely thought it was very sweet. I think this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's just I mean, he, he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant yeah. talent. First thing that happens is Richard comes in and is like, hey, you know, I want to apologize. And, and Eugene's like, surely you jest. Like, yeah, <laughs> which, of course, off. he says because he's Eugene. But yeah. he says it in a tone that is basically get the fuck out of here. And he also says very seriously to Richard, what about Nicholas? Yeah. Like you, you have to go and apologize to him, too. And I assume they just couldn't get Dick Beals on this show. But right. Um, right. But he's like, you know, that. That's actually more important than mm -hmm. my forgiveness. Than me. What does it mean actually to atone for something or to forgive someone? Because yeah. I think at the end of this scene, it shows that Eugene is not really offering forgiveness. No. Because of that no. twist of the knife at the end. I do generally think that we get to see very different facets of forgiveness over mm -hmm. the course of this episode. We get to see, you know, outright, I will never forgive you. We get to see, it's going to be really hard for me to forgive you. We get, uh, in Eugene's case, I'll forgive you, but with this very strong caveat. Right, as long as I basically never have to see you again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we have wit's forgiveness, which seems to be all-encompassing. Like, it's just right. like he... He's the only one who's like truly like, yeah, water under the bridge. But that's because he's been, you know, endowed by God with this superhuman ability. Wit wasn't personally harmed by much of this. He lost a couple days of business, right. but we also know that Wit's End doesn't make money. Uh, right. It's $137 a day. It also helps that for Wit, like Richard Maxwell really fucking helped him out of yeah. a jam in Chicago. Like right. after after giving him a TBI, but <laughs> <laughs> well, there does seem to also be like this morality thing, too, of like he truly believes that when Richard went to jail, he came out and all of his sins are wiped clean. You know, yeah, he doesn't hold true. a grudge because he assumes that the system worked. Right. You know, this episode is about the forgivers. It's not about Richard. This is not mm -hmm. an episode where Richard really reacts in a different way, which I think actually would have been a more interesting episode because we we see right. in Waylaid in the Witty City that Richard is still carrying a lot. Not someone that you want to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Probably. No. Like he's got some issues yeah. still. And again, he, he knocked Wit out. <laughs> he fucking blackjacked him and dragged him down a manhole. <laughs> well, to be clear, he blackjacked him after dragging him down the manhole. Yeah. 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 yeah so he, he, he interacts with Lucy. Lucy's yep. like not willing to do it. But then, and I thought this was interesting. Her parents are like, you have to go forgive him. And she goes yep. and she's like, I no, I don't. I don't want to do this. And his apology that he gives to her is actually uh, a there's two parts. It's yeah. first, I'm sorry for almost killing you by <laughs> sending a power search to the imagination station. <laughs> but also, uh, I'm sorry for what that whole thing did to you emotionally. And, and, and it's, a, it's it's coming from what feels like a pretty genuine place. Like he really regrets 
what he did. Lucy is like, look, I don't think that you can actually make up for what you did. Like, there's nothing that you can actually do. Yeah, you you literally robbed me of a piece of my childhood, and it, it right. just just like Wit said with revenge, it, you do, you don't get it back. Right. All yeah. this stuff it, never get, comes back, no matter what you choose to do with it. Whether you take revenge, whether you forgive, whether you let justice as a larger concept handle it, it does not come back. I will say that, like, as I did, I did genuinely enjoy uh, a lot of this episode, and I think it's it's one of the stronger Odyssey episodes mm-hmm. that we've listened to. And the only quibble I have with structurally speaking is that I actually would have switched Lucy's apology with Tom's because mm. I actually think that Lucy lost more. To Richard Maxwell than Tom did. Tom lost a lot of physical property, which is very obviously very important to this, the writers of this show (laughs) and Republican mind thinking in general. (laughs) Buildings are people. For Lucy, you're exactly right. You know, this is a this is a deeply emotional challenge for her. She actually like full on breaks into tears. She breaks the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah. And he asks her to at least think about it. And she's just like, go away. Like, I, I can't deal with this right now. And yeah. Wit's like, well, she took it harder than I thought. It's like, what the what? fuck did you think, moron? Like, God, right. 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 And that's where it's like, yeah, the impetus this? is on you. You are an imitator of Christ. God has forgiven all of us. That's why he says, like, go to God first. God will always forgive you. Right. And so we, as imitators of Christ, have to always forgive just the same as God. Although nothing right. you do materially harms God in any way because he is God. It's hey, just- hey, hey, wit. Maybe, maybe forgive your kids, man. <laughs> maybe focus on forgiving your fucking daughter. Yeah, maybe for Whit, existing. Maybe Whit needs focus to focus on the, on the family. family. That's, that's what I'm fucking <laughs> saying. I've been saying this. I want, I want the, uh, the Price is Right, like dun 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 dun, like Blair every time we say focus on the family. What? I have um, that. Or I have. All right, so let, let's go on. Let's go on Mom, oh God. to uh, the final attempt at an apology, Tom. Tom, over here, Whit. Hey, you should see the new... Hiya, Mr. Riley. What is he doing here, Whit? Well, I brought him out to... I don't want him here. He's not welcome. Now, wait a minute, Tom. No, sir. This is so good. This performance is so good from Walker Edmiston. Because Tom is usually just such a folksy, you know, Mm -hmm. positive presence that to hear him actually, like, betrayed and hurt, I got choked up. I'll be honest. It's it's scary, too. Like, he's got ice in his veins here. In communities like Odyssey, and, and I grew up in one of these, they're sort of maintained by this very thin fabric of stability is the best way that I can put it. You can't pierce that fabric. You can push on it. (laughs) You can uh, really stretch it to its limits, but you cannot break it because the moment that you break that fabric, that sort of veneer of I don't know if you want to call it civility or politeness or just Mm -hmm. like maintaining the, the status quo. Once you break that, you have ruined the cohesion of that fabric for everyone else. Yeah. This is something that's really hard for some people to understand, particularly people who are from, you know, New York or New England or whatever, because in the Midwest, if you have that sort of directness, if you say what you really think, what you really feel, you don't just damage the moment. You don't just damage the interaction. You also scare everybody else around you by doing that. And Brian, you I know you know this, that like there were a lot of cases in because we went to college together and there were yeah. a lot of times 
that I just kind of did and said what I wanted to do. And yeah. it freaked people the fuck out. There were, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. People hated you. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no hates me now. Everybody this. loves me yeah. now. <laughs> like, people, yeah. And it's it's that sort of Midwestern behind your back kind of thing. You, They would never, right, exactly. It's, it's Nobody not, would it's ever. Not, and it's not necessarily a duplicitous thing. They weren't necessarily mm-hmm. nice to you, to your face. They just, you just don't say that to somebody. No, and they, that's the thing. Nobody yeah. has ever told me directly that they don't care for me. Not not in that context. Yeah, it was just like, if, if you get that direct, you become an asshole. And, and, and people don't forget. Right. They do yeah. not forget. Ever. But then there's this whole thing where like what Tom is doing here is like taboo. You you put on your smile, you say, yes. all right. Yes. And you you let it go. And then but I mean you never you never you let, let that it, person you don't back really into your let life. it go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but if you see them at church or at work or whatever, right. like it should be done. The hatchet yes. is, is is technically buried. And this I mean this is like common all over the place. Like this is just what happens. You have a ritual of apology mm-hmm. and forgiveness that isn't really repentance, atonement, or forgiveness. It's about saying and doing the thing that is socially or spiritually the correct thing to do or say at right. that time. And what's particularly right. striking about it in this context is that he's not just doing it. They're not just one-on-one. Because if they were one-on-one, you could do it. And that would just sort of be your mutual secret with that person. No, he's doing this in front of wit. Yeah, yeah this is in it, front of the town's authority and figure. And again, to be like, clear, this isn't done. And unless you're from the Midwest, it's it, it's kind of hard to understand why. But it, mm. you just you just wouldn't do this. It's also very chilling to me because Tom never raises his voice he never yeah. like gets like brutally angry it's right. just you can even tell when he's expressing everything that he wants to there's just still this like little bit of holding that he's doing to like so he doesn't yeah. like leap across the room and, tr- and throttle this guy and that's the scariest kind of anger that there is and like you yeah, know like with, with Eugene earlier too so Eugene and Tom have both been taken by surprise, right? Eugene, yeah. it was like maybe a little bit of an accident because Richard is just in Wit's office and then Eugene yeah, comes in and Wit's Wit. like, I'll mm. just back out now. And yeah. <laughs> uh, like Connie, it seems like Ignore that was set me. up. Lucy's was set up, but coerced by her parents. Right. And Wit. Eugene was just like, well, you're here now. Let's get it done. <laughs> right. And then with Tom, he's right. like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to literally go to the barn that had to be rebuilt. After you burned down the first one, you're going to see all the horses you almost killed. Yeah. Right. And, and the man you almost killed. And I, Wit, God King of Odyssey, <laughs> am going to observe this as it happens. But of course, his relationship with Tom is so close that Tom is not as easily coerced by Wit. Right. The episode ends with Tom not being able to forgive. Right. Yeah, yeah, they Richard don't. For all they, he's done. they don't give it up. And and you know what happens in the moment there? He's also pissed off at Wit for even yeah. bringing him oh, by. Yeah. And he's it's, like, I, I mean, it's a dick move. And he says, truthfully. I don't, he's, Tom says, I don't care what he came for. Just like get him off my property. You know, Richard takes a bus out of town. Lucy comes back to the bus stop and properly forgives Richard. But it ends with Wit talking to Tom and Tom yeah. saying, I, I, I couldn't do it. And I can't do it. And it makes me sick that I can't do it specifically. And it's interesting, like just to give the, the last note on Richard, too, is like he he has family there. 
right? He's right. from Odyssey. When he was right. in high school, or like just out of high school, he was working as an orderly. We didn't listen to that episode. He has a sister. We will get to that episode at some point. You know, his family situation seems a little, I mean, it has to be, because it's focused on the family. All of this always comes from bad parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I just don't have a place here. It doesn't matter if people say they forgive me. This doesn't get dug into at all, but like... He's he's just going to go somewhere else. That also, to me, felt very real. Like, that's what you do. You go to a big city and you see what's going to happen. I don't know if it's just because we're in a culture now where all entertainment and all media seems to revolve around the idea of nothing having consequences. <laughs> but like even seeing it in this little tiny bit here at the end of Odyssey with Richard not sticking around, mm-hmm. yeah. actually just choosing to leave was profoundly affecting yeah. because you'd assume that wit would get what he, what he wants mm-hmm. which is richard to stay because wit always gets what he wants yeah, yeah. but and you he would expect, can't convince him you would also expect due to the nature of the show that the writers would want to push the reset button oh of course because um, they want that voice actor to stick around you know they want you know uh some continuity and they want small town life to be frozen in one specific place normally everything to be reset but Instead, we get uh, the loss of a character. He doesn't die, but he leaves for a considerable amount of time, I'm assuming. We had talked a little bit about the nature of how amends are made and the level of directness with which you can address the the injury, the concern, and and respond to it in kind or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does that compare with your experience, AJ, from, you know, your own life? I feel sort of a kinship with Tom in that I growing up, I I didn't have and I still have a lot of trouble uh, expressing negative feelings Mm. or to stand up for myself when I feel uncomfortable in a situation. And what ends up happening is I normally push everything down, down, down until it like erupts in like one big thing. And because people aren't used to seeing that side of me, it scares the shit out of them. When I finally do stand up for myself, it feels like I am personally attacking them because I'm so bad at it normally. There's a lot of that same feeling that you described, Josh, it's less pronounced than I think in the Midwest and in Midwestern culture, but in Catholicism, especially, mm. there is mm-hmm. so much that is just unsaid that you can't talk about unless you're in a confession booth with your priest. The priest will then give you things that you have to do, actions you have to take, certain prayers you have to say. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to go seek out the forgiveness, usually of the person that you've wronged. But after that's done, you're absolved right. of all of that yeah. sin. It's just gone. It's, right. it's like you were talking about <clears throat> uh, with the pollution in society. You you expunge it yeah. from yourself. Yeah. You exercise all of that evil out of you. And then you're able to go about your life. And I think there's something incredibly healthy about that outlook. It oh, just totally. it's just it never really manifests. Yeah. Does that, <laughs> Do you know I, what mean, I mean, in, in terms of like confession, of course, I know it's like. Usually there's a ritual prayer that's involved, right? You say this many of this prayer. This many Hail Marys, this many Our Fathers. Right. Is there also, like, in the process of confession, if you're talking about something you've done to somebody else, is there encouragement from the priest to say, you need to go to that person? Um, It depends on what it is. Yeah. Uh, Because, obviously there are certain sins that they want to highly discourage yeah. that. But if it's a small spat or <laughs> yeah. something, like if it's just between friends, then like, you know, yeah, go ahead and talk to that yeah. person. Like sure. uh, resolve it that way. Or uh, they often act as me- intermediaries if well, you want. And, and it's true. You know, sometimes the best way to resolve certain things is you just don't have contact with that other person. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, like they they will not be helped in any way by you ever talking to them again. It Which, would actually make it worse. Yeah. Would, what does forgiveness mean then? Other like it, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything between Eugene and Richard because right. they're never going to have contact with each other again, right? Like, there's no atonement that builds community between the two right. of them, right, Josh? This this is exactly the the second thing that I wanted to ask about yeah. is mm. how do we feel about the message of this episode? What do we first of all? What do we think the message of this episode is? Like, what does this episode think that forgiveness is? And secondly, is that valid or not? So th- this episode uses Matthew six twelve. That's the Lord's prayer: "Forgive us our debts, as we oh. have forgiven our de- debtors." Right, mm. which actually mm-hmm. places a condition on God. Right, like forgive us just the same as we have forgiven. Not, mm-hmm. not forgive me flat, which is the idea then that that your forgiveness under God is conditional on your ability to forgive others. Sometimes forgiveness is just for yourself, just like prayer in general. It's just for you. It helps you. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's about bringing peace to your mind so that you don't obsess over every way that you were wronged. Sometimes yes. it's done to build a community back up. And sometimes it can't do that, right? Which, in which case, it's just for yourself. There are ways that, unfortunately, this gets weaponized. I, I see this especially in more like fundamentalist Baptist um, mm. scenes. Hmm. The the weaponization of the term bitterness, mm. because bitterness is also a sin, right? And if you go really yeah. far with this, every sin is equal, right? Every single sin, no matter what was done to you, if you are bitter about it, you're committing the same number of sins, right? I have cousins who were homeschooled in the the Bill Gothard materials and curricula. Bill Gothard is uh, famously a serial sexual abuser. Now everyone knows that. And the the Duggars also taught their children using this curriculum. And Josh Duggar is and a pedophile. And of course we know about Josh Duggar and Josh Duggar's sexual offenses towards his younger siblings. Right. The Bill Gothard stuff, that that series of of educational books not only includes math and the Bible and whatever, it includes stuff that's like Hey, so my child has been sexually abused by a family member. Here's a worksheet on how we can go through that. And that worksheet is basically built just for the victims to eradicate their sin of bitterness. I hate how specific that is. It's extremely specific. And because it's rampant in these isolated uh, homeschooling communities. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's rampant everywhere, right? Sexual abuse is just fucking all over the place. But in in the case of this kind of thing, it's about giving an out for that behavior so that the person doesn't actually have to be held account for their offenses. There are ways that you have to account for certain things that go beyond the idea of punishment and forgiveness, right? That go towards removing active danger. Yes. And learning how to truly address something. Richard Maxwell, in this case, yeah, we talk about he's a pedophile. It's mostly just bad writing that makes yeah, him. Yeah, no, he's way. not really a pedophile. Right. You know, yeah. Just to be very clear, to be very clear to our <laughs> listeners, yeah. Richard Maxwell's pedophilia is a joke. Asterisk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Insofar as like he it's, says some weird shit, but it's because obvious- he's a villainous character, and they have child characters that they wanted involved in right. the plot line. Right. And yeah, it comes across real bad yeah it comes across <laughs> very very poorly but it's like, also he is voiced by an adult yes and lucy is voiced by a child yeah. and it just really puts that in stark and, contrast and, but like the depiction of him here is someone who his real crimes are just being a bad dude and doing arson right, uh, right. and he is 
clearly trying not to be a bad dude and trying not to do arson now. He is sincere about what he says. And the way that forgiveness becomes ritualized has has kind of mutated out of this too. I think like corporate culture, usually it used to be in America, no apologies for anything ever, right? You do everything confidently. Except in like, you know, Japan... Corporate apologies have always been a big part of sort of the theater of that. You can see that at the end of the bad sleep well where the CEO is like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. we're very sorry. We're very sorry. He's bowing to the cameras. He goes back into his office and like, fuck it. Um, you know? Yeah. And in America, that's become more common in like since the Obama era. Yep. Where it's like we and, and you can read like Robin D'Angelo's book and how she goes through this like whole process of how she apologizes to people. Like what's the corporate approved like HR way right. of apologizing to people? And it's interesting how quickly that sort of came up and how quickly it's being discarded now. Right? Yeah, it, Apologies it is. aren't worth shit. We're in the Trump era like, yeah. if you just don't say anything, it's going to go away. It sort of depends, though, right? Like, the, I, yeah. to, to that point of, like, corporate responsibility or corporate yeah. apology or whatever the fuck that means. Um, right. That script sort of that you talk about, the, like, Robin D'Angelo <laughs> thing, yeah. is not actually about harm reduction, right? It no, isn't no. about making sure that people who uh, work in a workplace where they are systemically discriminated against it's not about doing any of that about fixing any of those issues it's fundamentally just about making that person feel a little bit bad about what they did (laughs) and then giving them an out so that they can prove that they're woke now and yeah yeah and it's and it's 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 calibrated language more than anything else it's just about how to say something so that you don't accidentally stick your foot in your mouth which a real apology in a real person-to-person situation you have to risk that you there have has to, to be a risk of it. And, yeah. and there's can, always then the company could be liable. Yeah, and there's right. always the risk of. But like Robin D'Angelo, she's selling her book to say this is what you do interpersonally, too. Like this goes beyond the, the corporate stuff that I do. This is what you yeah. should apply because, in your life. Because corporate relationships to a lot of people are also yeah. just private relationships, yeah. like especially those in higher positions of power. It's just like, well, we treat this office like a family. And it's like it's not yeah. a fucking family. It's a workplace. <laughs> right. Your work coworkers aren't your family. The office. Yeah. And then that. It's it's interesting the place that that has in our culture today, how relatively new that is, and how it's mostly being thrown apart for for a system that's like actually what we're really focused on anyway is just the getting forgiven, yes, rather than the yeah. real aspect of things that's like sometimes you just don't come back. Which to this episode's credit, it does dabble in, right? Mm-hmm. It, there there is, I mean, Tom at the ends of the episode actively like trying and praying to God for like the ability to forgive Maxwell, but he yeah. can't. Yep. He, he just It's just something that he fundamentally can't do. I think the one thing that this episode doesn't cover, which I'm a little sad it doesn't, is Maxwell trying to forgive himself. Yeah. Mm. Because self-forgiveness is a thing that uh, I think is incredibly difficult to do, even when you've gotten forgiveness from the wronged party. You know, yeah. it's the shower thought that creeps in. Oh, God, I can't believe I did that, even mm-hmm. though it's it's been like fucking 10 years. And I was literally like, in prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. It just burns your burns itself into your brain. I think that the message of the episode is that because we never get Maxwell's position, it is about how do you deal with people who have wronged you? And ultimately, forgiveness is used as a tool 
to move on and to not carry the weight of the wrong done to you, Mm -hmm. which, as Brian, as you said, is weaponizes bitterness a lot. But there is some truth in just like, yes, unburdening yourself of just having to worry about it anymore, of just being able to do that. And I know that that's it's so incredibly difficult to do. And it's not for every single circumstance. There are people that. Uh, who have wronged you that you just can't ever forgive. I have a few of those. You know, I think we all do. It, uh, eventually, it just becomes a thing that you're poisoning yourself, you know? I forgive both of you for uh, <laughs> all of the things that you've done to me over the over the uh, years. Yeah, I, I mean, fuckers. I will, I will never forgive the tiny country boy his prejudices, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's true. He has taken no actions. He deserves to be canceled for that one, for sure. <laughs> Let's move on to yeah. the final episode in our set here, A Wrathbone of Contention. And this is sort of tying up some of the plot, loose plot ends from the stuff that we just listened to, and also setting some stuff up that's going to pay off in a big way yeah. later on. And like AJ said, he didn't piece it together until listening to that clip from Waylaid in the Windy City again. And that was Mm -hmm. deliberate. They didn't want you to think too much about Regis Blackard as they were getting into this episode. Yeah, right. Even though his his fingerprints are all over this plan. Um, In fact, it actually begins uh, with the destroying of Blackard's legacy by demolishing the shit out of Blackard's castle. And a prayer. Uh, Father God, we have mixed feelings at this moment. Bitterness, anger, sadness, and even hatred at Dr. Blackard and Richard Maxwell. We've each confessed those feelings on a piece of paper, Father, and nailed them to the last remaining wall of Blackard's castle. Like Martin Luther before us. As that wall crumbles to dust, (laughs) we ask that you destroy those feelings within us and tear down the walls that surround our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Charlie, you're there. Stand clear. There goes the ball. And now everyone in that clip has mesothelioma. Right. AJ, it's that Charlie, guy. He's back. Charlie, put down the dresses. We gotta bulldoze this thing now. Um, I got a big order out of Shanghai. No, bulldoze. I'm still on my union break for the next three hours. The, We're uh, skyscraping. The whole writing down the feelings on a piece of paper thing is a little on the nose. I kind of liked it, though. I thought that was nice. Um, I think it's something you do. It's something people actually do. Yeah. It's, it it's feels real. like a very lived-in ritual. Like, yeah. I actually, I kind of dug it. It's yeah. just like, okay. It's done. We yep. bulldozed it. Great we way. Can move on. Great way to kind of do that. And that's um, you know they're not forgiving Regis Blackard there, but it no, is absolutely not. it is the same thing. Like at the end of the day, this is them. Like we were saying, setting it aside, putting it in the background, and moving on to a new life with a new big radio shack. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> take um, uh, please take our pain by littering. <laughs> by the way, AJ, your construction friend uh, back again. Um, yes, with the with the right arm swing. This is this just feels like it's for AJ. Like, <laughs> this, like I feel like you would in writing something, yeah. you would have a random guy with a goofy voice in. Like you would you would do yeah. this. You would write this in here. No, no, I would, I would, but that goofy guy would then be having like really terrible problems at home, right. and right. make you feel really bad for laughing at his goofy voice. That's right. yeah, he'd, that, that's he'd my start, He'd start like confessing to like way too much about what's going on in his personal life. <laughs> yeah, just immediately off the bat, unprompted, because no one ever talks to him because he doesn't have a name. Right. Um, I mean, what? I, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I love about 
unnamed voices in things or like minor characters and things is that it allows you an opportunity to get into the world and inject a little more reality into it mm-hmm. um, in an unexpected way, which is a thing I always find incredibly funny. So I I love having these characters because, you know, if this weren't an, if this were an episode we covered before the break, he would probably have a whole commercial about his constru- construction right. company. Do you right. know what I mean? Like I. I, I love the opportunity for that. And I love that it's it's always never intended by the creators, yeah. that it, it it gives you a sort of, you know, a little personal ownership of it. I just don't care about this particular voice. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, yes. But this guy, uh, fuck off, make your dress. Lucy stays behind at the site and Rodney shows up. Rodney Rathbone, who we'll remember yeah. from previous episodes is a rascally. Yeah. He started out being written as, as sort of the schoolyard bully, but yeah, they kind right. of like ended up writing that out in favor of just being a general rap scallion. Yes. We've met the Rathbones before. This is not their introduction, even though it's the introduction of the electric palace. We had skipped ahead for 60 something where it already existed, but right, right. Rodney appeared about 50 episodes ago and Bart appeared not that long after that, when they remade the, the episode about stealing apples. Uh, so here we are. Rodney is so excited because his pop is getting a new business. Don't call him that. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're picking up on the recurring jokes already. Mm-hmm. Um, jokes is generous. <laughs> for jokes is extremely generous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bart is so happy. He goes over to Wits End and he starts uh, telling them about it. And, and Rodney's right. doing the advertising. Right. Hi, everybody. Oh, that's some sign you're wearing, Rodney. Like it? It's one of these sandwich boards. I made it myself. Come hey, to the uh, grand opening of the Electric Palace. What do you Oops, think? Sandy. There's only one L in electric. I told you, Rodney. Hey, I'm in charge of promotion, not spelling. So it is true. You're really opening a business. Yeah, well, uh, technically, it's owned by the Webster Development Company out of Chicago. Hmm. Webster. Yeah, I've heard of them. Hmm. Yeah, well, they're one of the huge hmm. conglomerates. I uh, want to start a chain of electric palaces across the country. Why is Wit heard of the one here in Odyssey? Uh, they're Chicago-based. Franchising it. Oh, I guess. You know what I mean? Wit has heard of Webster Development because, AJ, so have you. Fun fact. They're a dictionary company? No. No, no. That would no. be really they're, funny. They're a... They're Rival to encyclopedia. Even though they are based out of Chicago, as Chicago, uh, Chicago, <laughs> as Bart, which says, is the name of a Pokemon. They are interested in land and retail space. And back in the episode when Wit's wife died of strep throat in the kidneys, oh, no. was Glossman bidding on behalf was, of Webster? Mm-hmm. Webster Holy Development Firm shit. was building a strip mall with an arcade. With Philip Glossman, who you'll remember as the custodian of the old Blackguard's castle as he laid out and waylaid in the Windy City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like Grossman, though. More really. Like Grossman. More, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it goes uh, <laughs> <laughs> So this is once again Just the big city conglomerates coming to tear down. Right. Middle America with mm-hmm. uh, chain radio shacks. It's okay if it's a big city holding company as long as it's held by somebody from real America. As long I as guess. it's held yes. by a good Christian man who wants to make an unprofitable ice cream parlor. Walmart can <laughs> decimate the local economy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, as yeah, long Sam as he Walton, believes in Jesus. Good, good middle American fella. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right there in the heartland. But I uh, so I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks lately, which I think I may have mentioned on this pod before. Um, But Rodney Rathbone not entering to the jazzy music that all the bad (laughs) boys of Twin Peaks. Like he is he is such a he is such a T-bird. It's actually it's actually crazy. Um. It also shows that the public education in Odyssey is failing its students because it's failing the Rodney Rathbones of the town. Yeah, yeah. I believe it has been established that Rodney is 16 years old and in middle school. Okay. Yeah, and and almost and and not illiterate. He can't read and write. He's just a very he's just very bad at it. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he's he's sort of a Charlie Kelly figure at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. He actually is very much a Charlie Kelly figure and, and, in how and, they write. Bart, I don't know what you're talking and, about. And Bart is Frank Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, he he just walks into Wits End offering eggs does to that, any and all. Does that make Doris sweet D? <laughs> I think it does, yeah. I just keep hearing this name, Regis Blackard, Regis Blackard. There is no Regis Blackard in HR. We learned that not only is Webster like bankrolling this they're also really accelerating the construction of this yeah, thing they're getting this yeah. place put they're up they're getting in permits two expedited weeks. yeah because um, and also because uh, bart has a lot of friends but... he has a lot of friends in the con- construction scene he used to run a, a sweatshop <laughs> so he's got all the seamstresses working for him on the construction now i will say partially this bolsters my theory of bart rathbone being italian however right. of course we know that in the detroit and uh Western Ohio area, there was also Jewish organized crime. Uh, also, well, may, also could be that he's Chaldean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. The fucking Chaldean mafia is a big deal in the Midwest. Um, oh, fuck. So, so what ends up happening next is, yeah, like Bart is in, a, in, in classic Bart nature, doing his best to cut corners in the process yeah. and, you know, yeah. save some money because he doesn't want to spend because money. Because he's a famously thrifty person. Incredibly thrifty and cuts corners for the sake of constructing new buildings. Attend the tale of Rathbone B. The cheapest man in Odyssey. <laughs> he and Rodney have like these twin schemes. Rodney right. yeah. is getting Lucy to volunteer like on spec. Right. To make flyers. And he says, only if I like them will I pay you $25. He says 50. Down and Bart's from 50. Like, ah, ah, ah. Eugene is hired to help with computers. And so Bart's like, so you know electricity, right? Why don't you wire the whole building yeah. for he, no cost? He designates, Bart designates Eugene as the master <laughs> electrician for the entire build. The main circuit box? That's right. Notice something odd about it? Well, yes, none of the wires appear to be attached. Nobody gets to the heart of a problem as quick as you. Up to now, we've been powering the place like with a generator. Line. But it's time for that to stop. Uh, I want you to fix the circuit box. Fix it? Yeah, you know, attach the wires. Uh, am I to understand that you wish me to wire your building? No, no, I don't wish you to do it. I want you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, a, cu- a couple a couple things here that I wanted to note. Yeah. First of all, you can hear that the production quality of this show keeps getting better and better. Yeah. The the, yeah. the, the background noise of the construction is excellent. Yeah. yeah well, and, and speaking of and Foley and, and sort of things like that, the way that this episode uh, that these episodes have uh, 
been written in terms of like identifying place and where mm. you are in that place has been getting more and more specific and more and more masterful. Uh, back in the Chicago episode, uh, Wit and Connie pass by a doorman and he says, here, let me get the door for you. And mm. you perfectly know that they're going from outside to inside. Sure. And it happens exactly they at the right point in the say, conversation. Now we're in the hotel. They don't right. have to yeah. do that. Yeah. It's really it's really lovely. Um, it, and they did rely on those crutches earlier. In fact, I was yeah. surprised. Right. Go, jumping back to that episode a second. I was surprised that Richard was like, and how about this? My gun. Yeah. Instead of just saying, how about this? Because it was very clear at that point that he was pulling out a gun. Yeah. And then a couple other people yeah. mentioned that it was a gun. I don't know why he. Anyway, that, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that, sure. that was yeah. one of those places where it was it, it really slips up because otherwise they have figured it out. They right. know how to tell a story without giving too yeah. much most of the time. I also imagine that the electric uh, palace is like a Fry's electronics. So it's just a mm. giant pyramid. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, now that I know it's freaking blaggard to have you know, <laughs> uh, like a what? pyramid what? based. What? I'm Who? sorry. I'm sorry. Who? Um, but- Who is that man with that voice? Who could it possibly be? <laughs> Sounds like so many other guys. Have we gotten to the point where Bart talks about keeping Rodney off the streets? Like him running his scheme with the flyers keeps Rodney off the mean streets of Odyssey. Yeah, I wanted to grab this clip. It's not important to the plot of this episode, but Bart uh, has a one-sided fin call. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Everything is going according to schedule. I did finally get an electrician. He's wiring the place right now. Well, we'll be ready for the building inspector. Don't you worry. Uh, yes, sir, I know that you shouldn't worry, but I should, and I am, but only because there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, no, sir, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, but the building <laughs> will be ready. You can count on it. I. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, good bit. Uh, yeah, right. So, you got an electrician, eh, Pop? Yeah, and don't call me Pop. Okay, Pop. Where'd you find him? In the computers. It's Eugenie. I didn't know he was an electrician. He knows enough to get us by the inspector. Besides, his price was right. Well, how much you paying him? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pop. Don't call me that. I wonder who he was on the phone with. What kind of a man whom he calls sir would make him that nervous? Him, Bart Rathbone, the never nervous man. Hmm. 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 Ooh. Rodney's not paying Lucy either. Like, nobody's paying. Because, again... They're cheap, yeah. guys. Get it? They're cheap. They're, yeah, I'm yes. going to say this feels super anti-Semitic. They, <laughs> like, they, they like to get other people to do stuff for them and not pay them, especially on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> also, why don't call him Pop? I don't understand. Also, like, they, also Wit doesn't pay joke. his employees shit. Exactly. Yeah, doesn't fucking pay his employees In any fact, goddamn money at all. this is, this is something all. that I wanted to mention, was that when Bart goes over to Wit's end to recruit Eugene, he, like, has to, um, like, ask Wit's permission right. to employ him. Yeah. Rather than just, like, He's maybe, a fucking part-time employee at an ice cream shop. Maybe Bart should yeah. just have walked up and been like, it also, why did they never secure the terms of employment in the first place? Yeah. Why didn't Eugene no. make sure that he was going to get paid? It doesn't make sense. It's, Eugene, it's, Connie, Union, Union now, organize. <laughs> yeah, organize. <laughs> Overthrow wit's end. Uh, I, 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 it, it hurts my brain um, that they basically they're conniving like two villains in like musical theater mm-hmm. like they lean it's like we're not gonna pay him ha 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 like it, it really is it's so over the top yeah and and it, uh, lucy goes through i think 
uh, a very wonderful sort of crisis because she's been asked to make this flyer five times (laughs) and has not made it up to his specifications five times. And I was just listening to it going, God, as someone who's a partner of a graphic designer, like I feel like... (laughs) Yeah, what, what Rodney's doing is not very out of the ordinary. No, it's super. <laughs> the next thing then that happens is that Lucy goes over to Wit and tells him that Rodney hasn't actually paid for the flyer design. Even yeah. and, and, and Wit's like, well, you should give him the benefit of the doubt. After all, Bart hooked <laughs> me up with these Transformers. Off, John. You're not really that yeah. gullible, Wit. You're just like being a right. dick. Right. And um, Wit, so Wit had, had, is actually Bart's first customer. He bought right. these Transformers. Uh, to, meets and the like eye. this isn't even Bart's fault because this is a conglomerate. So th- this is Blaggard's own company is selling bad Transformers. Which right. trains go haywire. They right. fuck up, and then he's like, "Well, that's not good." And, 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 he, and yeah. what's imp- what's worth noting too is that the Transformers do work at first. It's only after he opens up the power all the way that the yeah. Transformers then overload. They actually, I think, yeah. electrocute him briefly um, <laughs> because he talks about how he's like charred. With yeah, mentions yeah, that he, he's all charred. He sees the face of God, who is a three-headed goose, right. uh, who tells him his time's not not up yet. And and, go back to work and do my honking. And naturally, this sets us up for the wacky, goofy thing at the end where, yeah. you know, you Bart's pressuring Eugene to finish. Bart is pressuring Eugene into finishing up the work. Uh, Eugene's like, look, I'm not a master electrician. Like, I am not fully confident in my work here. Wit shows up. Eugene <laughs> is in the middle of a panic attack. And Wit's like, Eugene just wants to be a good boy. Right. He just wants it's, you know, and as an actor who has done unpaid work where you just want it to end up OK. Yep. I, yeah. I totally feel I for it. him. I he's just young. He's being taken advantage of and he doesn't Absolutely. want it to fail. And Wit's like, burn him. <laughs> it yes. reminds me of the time that I was doing audio work for a downtown New York City theater that will not be named on this podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where I basically uh, recabled and rewired all of the XLR throughout the entire space. I rewired the whole thing by myself one afternoon. Oh my God. And um, this is a Herculean task, by yeah, the that's, way, that's, for anybody that's listening. Incredible. That's incredible. Like you're, you're dealing with having to climb ladders and oh, lift yeah. a lot of heavy stuff. And that was an old building that was just filled with, I'm sure, asbestos. Yeah, um, there's definite danger in it. I think I ended up getting paid 40 bucks, uh, <sighs> which was more than the zero that they were initially going to pay me. Oh, but good. I learned yeah. a very valuable lesson that day, which is make sure that you have the terms of your employment up front. It goes to Eugene and says, you know, you're right. Don't don't turn off the generator just yet. Wait until I tell you to. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is also this is like classic old wit where he's such a prankster and he likes to yeah. see people suffer for their faults. That's the thing. He is, he's he's not he's a right prankster. Here. It's like it's a good thing that this yeah. happens. Um, right. <laughs> but he's not like a he's not a fun prankster, right? He is no. a mean prankster, malicious yeah. prankster. So so the inspector is there. They they f- turn off the generator. They fire up the real power. Bart's like. See, it all worked, Wit. Your man knows what he's doing. Right. And then the whole building burns down. A good amount of the building was yeah. burned. And thanks the building to this inspector is like this snooty, like faggy, like, right. I <laughs> hope that when I come back, you'll have a building <laughs> worth expecting, sir. <laughs> um, Listen, <there's>... Mary, this <laughs> building... <laughs> Luck, Phyllis, I've been around the block. <laughs> so there's a bit where um, right before 
he again speaking to wits like yeah. uh, uh, plays as a merry prankster. There's and a don't bit, call me Mary. <sighs> there's a bit where uh, he's he's gonna turn where Bart's gonna turn on the power uh, yeah. to the main building, turn on the thing, and Wit goes, "I wouldn't do that if I <laughs> yeah, were yeah, you." Yeah, 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 and yeah. then Bart responds, "Quiet!" Like it's briefly yes. sung, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> and, what and, is happening?" And that's, that speaks, I mean, it's like, it's great They're about riffing, to do Skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. But like, Walker Edmiston and Hal Smith were very, very good friends. They, you know, they have been in mm. the voice acting game and the acting game for, you know, 50 years at this right. point. Sure. And they would always go to, I think it was McDonald's and get breakfast before they went and recorded hmm. every single morning that they oh. had an episode together. <laughs> That's very sweet. That's yeah. really cute. Yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. That, that friendship is, is again, part of the real spark that makes this show as strong as it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially their dynamic, too, is yeah, very, yep. very fun. Um, and so we get to the moral of the episode that Wit sums up with, if you treat people unfairly, it will always backfire. Except if you have enough money, then there are no consequences yeah. for anything. <laughs> the, the, the real message is, as per usual, don't fuck with Wit. The the scripture is Proverbs 21.5. This is always where you find the work ethic verses are in Proverbs. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Mm. But that's not mm. fucking true, is it? No, no, not at all. It's, <laughs> sorry, no. sorry, King Solomon, but maybe you don't have like the greatest sense of who makes money and who doesn't. I, uh, you, you just know, really hurt King Solomon's feelings. He wasn't that. Cool. What, what was the whole deal with like threatening to cut the baby in half? Why would one lady be okay with that? In the wise, first place. Wise guy my ass. Fuck off. <laughs> Half a baby better than no baby, I guess. I am here to denigrate all of the kings of Israel. Y'all are bitches. Fuck, Fuck dude. all y'all. I, I don't know if I'm ready to start beef with the kings of Israel in Judea. <laughs> Rehoboam, bitch. Jeroboam, fuck you. <laughs> Bart gets fined for Rodney uh, distributing flyers all around the town. Right. And we get a reappearance of uh, Officer Orion. Orion. I mean, but basically, Officer yeah. Orion. No, or not O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He comes in and Officer Orion says, Hi, Charis Shamrocks. <laughs> I'm taking today. And I was like, oh, we, we get it. You're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> what you're telling me, You are AJ. so aggressively Irish, I, 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 I feel like I have become more Irish by listening to you. That's great. Doesn't it feel so good to be seen and perceived, It feels AJ? good to have representation, yeah. you know? As an Irishman, it feels really good. We got that three-hour movie and then nothing else for the rest <laughs> of our time. Rodney... <laughs> Rodney getting got on like a littering charge for doing unlicensed flyering is like that's definitely some sort of ordinance they put in place to keep out immigrants like a oh, hundred yeah. years ago oh, absolutely or, or know, the irish also, were coming in and they were flyering before their children became cops and and you know that's how they took care it's of it. an it's anti like jaywalking it's an anti-ethnic thing right. and it's also yeah. definitely an anti-labor thing you wouldn't yes. want unions oh, to be posting around town that's an easier way to organize yeah all that is to say my conclusion here of this episode is mm -hmm. um about about mm, half a year ago, a number of workers at a Starbucks coffee shop mm. in the city of Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. announced that they were filing for a union. Fuck yeah. Since then, the, the, not only did they win their election, mm -hmm. dozens upon dozens of other Starbucks locations have now also filed for a union election, and many of them will win. Right. All this is to say, Connie... Eugene, if you're interested, 
Worst of all possible worlds at gmail.com. Let me know. I will put you in touch with some workers from, with some organizers from the United Auto Workers. We will unionize wit's end. And then you can make dresses at the ice cream shop. Exactly. It's everyone's Mm -hmm. dream in the union. So what do we learn here today, y'all? Like, should we... Should we do like a Chris wrap up where it's like, uh, <laughs> well, we sure did learn about, about unions. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. God wants us to work hard to build his kingdom. But more and more often these days, people would rather put their own needs first. And for some people, that means conspiring with each other behind their company's back to uh-huh. form a union. But unions aren't right for every workplace. In fact, you might end up getting paid less than before, Mm -hmm. but you'll still owe dues to the union. That's money that you could be donating to your church or spending on a strawberry milkshake at wit's end. So remember, if you have worries about where you work, just talk to your boss directly about your concerns. After all, God has put them in authority. And they ultimately know what's best. <laughs> uh, Josh, just one quick question about that. Yeah. How how big is this house that God wants you to build? Oh, it's pretty fucking it's a, big, it's, dude. It's a, it's a big, big house. <laughs> I mean, it's way too big for a little tiny country boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm the worst of all possible country boys. I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. Somebody uh, pick me up. I want to go for a ride. <laughs> Arrivederci, amigos. <laughs> What is the second greatest industry in the world, not counting General Motors, IBM, U.S. Steel, or DuPont? Yves Saint Laurent. Haute Couture. Haute Couture. It's what makes a lady feel so secure. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed spending the last couple hours in our little skyscraper. I don't know. I don't know what that was. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to make conversation. It's just so lonely up here in my skyscraper. Of course, you can find us here at the Worst of All Possible Worlds on Twitter at T-W-O-A-P-W or on Instagram at the Worst of All Possible Worlds, no spaces, or patreon.com slash worst of all. And Patreon is special because that's how this is possible. That's right. We're not brought to you by a a patisserie run by a one-off Adventures in Odyssey character with an inscrutable accent. We are, in fact, brought to you by our listeners. And I'd like to welcome some new patrons, Sir Sheepsalot, Morgan Bird, Clark Annable, and Mark Smith. And as always, I would like to extend our very special thanks to... Tony Diddy, Timmy Sexton, Silverbear909, Nikola Donov, Hannah White, Dara Swisher, and Ashley Stoneman. Ta-da-ta-da-ta. Ta-da, ta-da, ta. No!